Good morning. As Randy has just reminded me, I don't have a watch, you know, so in Africa we say Americans have watches and they don't have time. Africans don't have watch and they have all the time in the world, so uh, generally our services are elastic, you just go on and on, and uh, three hours, four hours, five hours, so uh, I know I was at the church and it says, well, if you go five hours, you'll be alone in the church. By the day. You know, so, so I'll only go four <laughs> this morning. So it's good to be back. And uh, let me begin by thanking the church so much for being a huge part of what we're doing. I think uh, this year, uh, about two years ago, we moved our kids into a Christian school run by Wycliffe missionaries in Yaoundé. When you do what I do, uh, the lives of your kids are extremely important. And our kids were in public schools, and uh, we just realized they needed to be somewhere else. And we moved them. We took It was a huge step of faith. And uh, we took loans and we just couldn't meet up again. And um, I sent out a newsletter, and I think three people responded, but it wasn't enough. And the church was so gracious to just cover the whole year tuition for our two kids. So let me start by thanking you so much for that for us. Uh, our kids, my son is in a small Bible study group and my daughter is in the choir also and they're really enjoying their time in Yaoundé. Uh, a school called Rainforest International School in Yaoundé run by Wycliffe missionaries and they're with other missionary kids from all over the world. Uh, the school is making an impact in them and uh, we're just so thankful. Thank you for making that happen. Uh, so much to share. It's been a rough year for me. And um, uh, August, I mean, November last year, I had a, what they call a macular hole in my right eye and my left eye much bigger. My right eye, and uh, the doctor said I needed to do something quickly. Usually I get prescription glasses from a, a, what you call a Dollar Tree. And usually for I buy, each time I come to the state, I'll buy about 20 or 30 of them, and uh, I have them everywhere. But last year, God blessed me a little bit, and I said, man, for the last almost 60 years I've been using this type of glasses, I got to go get me some good glass in Cameroon. So I went, and they did an eye check, and it was a God thing, and the doctor just said, man, you've got this big hole, and if you don't do something, uh, I'm... I've got, I'm struggling with diabetes that uh, you'll be going blind in both eyes. And uh, and nobody could do the surgery all over our country and our region. I knew I was coming to the state, so I came. And uh, God was so gracious. A Christian doctor who is also a missionary, who has been a missionary in our part of the world, uh, was, you know, somebody put me in touch with them. And uh, the funds came together. Um, the, oper- the surgery itself cost more than $10,000. And with no insurance, there was just no way. But they were able to give me some discounts, and they did that. And uh, somebody asked me this morning, how are your eyes? I said, I think I could see, you know, where are you? You know, so this side has been done. And hopefully before the end of this year or next year, we'll, uh, the, the right, the left side was not as bad. And so the doctor said we should give it some time and see if it doesn't get worse, then it will be there. So I can see, again, in uh, February I had COVID, and with uh, Diabetes also, uh, my family thought 
I've gone, you know. And my younger brother will call, man, you have anything in your account? <laughs> Does anybody have access? In our part of the world, when somebody dies, it's a huge thing. Everybody comes around to eat, and the family <laughs> has to feed them. And my brother was really worried, but uh, <laughs> he didn't know how <laughs> he would survive uh, that. And But God saw me through it, and in May, I had uh, a big boot with uh, what they call cerebral malaria. In our part of the world, malaria is just part of living there. And every year or so, I know I will catch malaria because of my travels. But this was a little... Uh, the last two years, I haven't had it. Uh, and so I was just so thankful. And then I found myself, and it was a worst case. Uh, but uh, God saw me through that again. And so we're just so thankful. It's been... Uh, somebody said, you've had everything. Now you don't have to worry about anything again. So... Uh, but... Uh, thank you so much for your prayers and um, um, and all God has enabled you to do. You're so thankful for the big hells. Uh, uh, Sharon stays in touch and we've, uh, connects us with the church. Uh, so usually when the situations, I will write and copy her and uh, we're just so thankful. The family came two years ago. You never know what you have until you've been out of the country. And as we're driving this morning, I'm here with two of my friends, Keith Bannister and his wife, Johnny, uh, from uh, the, the Lodge, or the, the, the Lodge, <laughs> the Lodge, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, as we're driving, I was just going through the road, and I said, man, I never cease to be amazed at the great roads, you know, that you have in this country. Cameroon doesn't have up to 3,000 miles of good roads like this. And they will say these are some of the worst roads, but I just, we take things for granted here, uh, how much you are blessed. And that's one of the reasons I encourage people to come on short-term missions, uh, because when you come, your life is never the same. Uh, it changes you, it changes your perspective, and you come out with a deeper sense of gratitude for the many ways God has blessed you. If you look at the way Jesus taught his disciples, he taught them by sending them out, not so much because of their maturity, but to move them towards maturity. When we go out, three things basically happen. We grow, a maximum growth. And when we grow, when we go out, something else happens, the maximum good. We help people. We do all kinds of things, so the maximum good. And when growth and good comes together, God is maximally glorified. So I want to encourage you guys, uh, those of you who have never made an attempt, the Catholics will say, if you give me a child at the age of seven, he will be a Catholic all his life. The Mormons will take two years of their life to go out. Can you imagine the impact that will happen when if every one of us go out? But understandably, not all of us can go, but I think we all can go in three ways. We can go, for those of us who may not be able to travel, we could go on our knees, even here. Uh, we could go through our wallet or our purse, and for others, we could go in person. And for some, it's we could go in three, all three ways. We could go through all of this. So I want to encourage you to continue to come. We're expecting Madison this last year, but COVID hit. So she's a great artist, and um, we're still, I hope I get those pictures. We'll try to see if somebody can replicate them at the new building uh, that we're building. But uh, we're looking forward to having her. Uh, for a gap year, she had planned to come in Cameroon and be with us for a year. But the uniqueness of what we do, uh, Bread for Life as a whole, is our ability 
to combine evangelism with social action. Uh, oftentimes there's been this dichotomy in the church. The conservative arm of the church will emphasize the spiritual. Let's get them safe and all of this while the social at the, at the expense or while neglecting the other aspect. And then the liberal church uh, arm of the church emphasizes the social at the detriment of the spiritual. I think our uniqueness is our ability to combine both, you know, and by doing so, we're demonstrating Jesus' love through practical uh, things also. That's, and in our part of the world, that is what is needed. In a country where over 60% of the people are unemployed, ministry has got to take a different place. You have a church that has 200 members or 300 members. The offerings and the gifts sometimes are not up to $300 or 600 So because most of the people are unemployed. I remember a church burnt this year. One of the churches we planted in Yaoundé just got burnt completely. Uh, the whole neighborhood, there was a fire that went through. And the church had over 200 members, but the tithes and offerings every month were less than $600. And the church now without walls, and uh, they're just meeting outside, and it's a rainy season. And I was just thinking if it was in the West, a church like that would be able to build uh, so that's why ministry in our part of the world has to be holistic. You have to address all of this. And so some of the things we're doing is we're building in such a way, we're building mostly what I call self-sustaining ministries. Uh, I tell people all the time that you raise a child and the child is 40 or 50 and the child is still at home. Oftentimes we'll be asking questions, not just what is wrong with this child, but I think we should also be asking what did we do wrong? In our part of the world, Christianity is 70 years, 100 years, and oftentimes we're still dependent on Western benevolence. Uh, we're still dependent on gifts here. And we're thankful for the many ways. America has blessed the world, and I think that's one of the reasons God has continued to bless America. But the question is, how long will that continue? How long? How long will that continue? We've, the changes we see in government and in other areas, we need to be asking, you know, we need to position the other side of the world where Christianity is even growing more to begin to be at the giving end. And so we're building in such a way that if Jesus tarries, we'll also be at the giving end, not just at the receiving end. And so we're building, that's how we're building. Two areas that we're, uh, that we're making an impact, apart from church planting, church planting and discipleship will continue to be the core of our work. But two aspects of our work is in the area of education and agriculture. 70% of our population depends on subsistent agriculture. And so uh, our work among the backers, we're working among the backer pygmies. Uh, that's one of the most unreached tribal groups for many years, uh, gathering them. These guys were hunters and gatherers. And uh, we began teaching agricultural skills and all the other things. And a few years ago, about eight years ago, God impressed upon our heart to start demonstrating this also. So we bought about 250 acres of land. Now we have almost 1,000 acres of land to uh, build what we call a so an integrated sustainable demonstration farm where we could teach principles and then also use that as a camp. Uh, Farm itself has a five-pronged approach. It will be a fully integrated farm, animals, birds, fish, and plants, so we could, you know, so the farm is fully integrated. We use the chicken droppings for fertilizers and to feed fish and all kinds of things and just 
run and run and run. Uh, I could uh, go on and explain to you uh, what we're trying to do there, but it will also be used for training and research and then also for agro and ecotourism. Uh, uh, those of you in the city, uh, some of the kids in the city don't even know chickens. Uh, how chickens, some of, uh, I know some of you think uh, chickens are grown in Walmart or in the stores, you know. Uh, uh, so we're basically trying to use this to teach our young people how to farm and grow things. And then uh, right now we have about 120,000 pineapples on the ground. We have 30 workers, full-time workers, and about 20 other families that are involved. And uh, with 120,000 pineapples, we're hoping by the end of the year we'll have 300,000 pineapples. Now, 300,000 pineapples next year by December, the farm should be able to take care of all its workers. At 20 cents a pineapple, we should be able to generate about $60,000 by the end of next year. That's our goal this year. And right now, in the past, we're struggling buying pineapple suckers, you know, but we have enough right now that every year we should be able to triple uh, our pineapples. So by the end of December next year, we should be able to have another uh, 900,000 pineapples and they will begin to uh, teach others how to grow similar things. And when everybody in the community begins to produce pineapples, that's a whole industry you've created. And Maybe in the next few years, you'll be drinking our pineapple juice, you know, in America here. We're looking at partnering with others, but positioning our people so they could also, in a country or in an area where the average income is less than a dollar a day, or if you're in the city, about $2 uh, a day or less, you know, the church has to do something a little bit different. So those are the things we're doing, and we're also building in such a way that during holidays, the place could be used as a youth camp where we could bring hundreds or thousands of young people and expose them to nature, but also to the beauty and credibility of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're already getting schools that are asking us to come send their students for internship and all kinds of things. So that's just a little bit about the vision of the school, uh, of the farm. Another aspect we've been involved, which will eventually become sustainable, and all of these uh, two aspects, uh, we're building them in such a way that they're providing services, creating jobs while simultaneously generating revenue for continuity. And so that we're not just perpetuating dependence on Western benevolence, but we're building in such a way that we could also be. And uh, some of you may know, I was about 40 when I got married, so my kids are still young. And my youngest child just turned nine. Uh, he was uh, born nine years ago, and just w what a joy it was uh, when we had him. And the first two years, he did very well, and then we began seeing him regressing. And uh, we're asking questions. He would not play with his brothers. He was just uh, doing funny things. So we brought him to the state. We asked to see a developmental pediatrician. And when we brought him here, they said, uh, these were all signs of autism. I've never heard anything like that about autism. So... And they told us we'll need ABA therapies, we'll need speech therapies, we'll need occupational therapies, and all kinds of things. We went back to our country of Cameroon, and we found out there were only two speech therapies in the on, in the whole country, and both of them were French-speaking. And our family, if you know Cameroon, were both English and French-speaking, with over 250 native languages and over a thousand dialects. And we are from the English-speaking side of the country. So we just knew we had to do something. There was no school, nothing, only one school in Douala 
which catered mostly to the super rich. They were charging about $1,000 for services a month, which in a country where the average income a month is $200, it was just, and uh, we enrolled him there. We took loans, and we just realized it wasn't sustainable. We just could not pay again, so our son was kicked out. We brought him home, painted a room in our home, and just began learning and reading and training, and then we had somebody else to help. And before we knew it, about 15 families started bringing their kids to our home. Uh, naturally, school just started. Uh, we rented a place, and uh, we started with about 15 students, autistic children, and 10 uh, teachers helping them because with special needs kids, they need one-on-one or a maximum of two-to-one or three. And uh, we realized after a while that the school could not be sustainable with just special needs kids. In our culture, you, you have many kids uh, kids, children are the retirement plan of their parents. So you have many kids. I know in this area, we have many kids. You're hoping that one of them will grow up and be responsible and take care of you when you're older. So that's just, uh, you know, my father, had, uh, about 20 of us, you're just always hoping uh, in a culture where there's no retirement plan, no social security and all the rest, your kids, when you get older, they take care of you. And so generally, when you have a child who has a special need, you know, this is not going, uh, value system, uh, the culture is, he's not going to be helpful for me. Why should I focus on him? So oftentimes, parents will focus on the others who they think are smart in school and they work with them. And so even those who can pay and they have special needs kids will not do that. They will just, they're often neglected or just kept at home. And so we realized with just special needs uh, kids will never be able to be sustainable. So we started, uh, the school began evolving into bringing in what you call neurotypical, normal children, mixing them up so that the normal children could learn, uh, develop compassion for the others, and the others could also learn certain things from them. So the school has evolved into an all-inclusive model school. We now have 92 students in one small building and uh, and uh, 27 staff. We've just recently just gotten another building, uh, which I'll be home next week to sign the contract. Uh, we're still in the hole every year, but our challenge right now is it's become a model school that we're having to turn down students every year because there's no space. We have 90, uh, the Bickles will probably tell you it's a small building and in America here, I don't think you allow up to uh, 50 kids in that kind of a, an environment, but they're all squished in a small building. We've just gotten another one. Uh, land in Douala. Douala is the economic capital of the country. So land there is so pricey, it's almost impossible to buy land. A uh, small piece of land, you are told, $300,000. The country is extremely corrupt. Uh, the gap between the rich and the poor is so vast. In, a con- in our country, government officials are the richest people because of corruption. So you have a government official who could just buy land and pay a million dollars, but the next door neighbor cannot even afford a meal. So that's the, the disparity is so wide. But we're working. Uh, we just signed an agreement with Arkansas Tech. Uh, they started sending teachers to Cameroon to help our school. And so right now they're looking at getting a grant to help us uh, buy land and possibly build. So be praying for that. But if you know other foundations that may be able to help, uh, 
just send me an email or give me a call or uh, share with uh, the Bickles. Maybe they will be able to communicate with us. Uh, so that's where we are. But the school is growing. We estimate uh, with 200 paying students, and the tuition for the whole year is $500. With 200 paying students, the school should be able to be self-sustaining. Uh, building alone is about $24,000 a year, but we're thinking in the next four years, you're looking at almost 100000 Why not invest in a long-term uh, building? So that's one of the uh, things right now. And if we do that, if we build, they will come. We'll be able to get 200,000 students within a short period of time because schools like ours charge so much, maybe about $10,000. We only have one of them in the country, and they charge so much with our uh, determination to make fees very small, as low as possible, and to give scholarship to those who cannot, I think will not have a problem with students. Uh, we've hired a new manager, uh, excellent guy who is moving the school to a different direction, which we're so thankful. So that has also released me to do other things. Uh, uh, the farm has grown, like I already shared. We have 120,000 pineapples now. By the end of next month, we should have about 200,000 pineapples. Our goal is to plant uh, 300 by the end of this year, developing. We just bought, and everything is done manually. We clear. We have a, a chainsaw guy who comes. We have the first guys who come and use a machete to clear, and then the chainsaw guy comes and cut down the trees. We right now don't have a way of removing the stumps, so we just plant around the stumps, hoping in the next five years or so the stumps will rot and, and We'll be able to, but that's just the way we uh, we are right now. But we've made a lot of improvements since you guys left. Uh, I think you'll be amazed when you come back again. Uh, at it is everything has just changed. Uh, we're focusing right now on animals and birds. We have a, a hundred. Last year we had a lot of losses. A fire came across, and cocoa that they help us, the cocoa trees that they help us uh, develop, were all burnt. So we've developed a system right now because most farmers in that area during the dry season, though, uh, it's too much it's labor intensive. They'll just put fire on their land. So the fire could just burn their whole land and that way they could cultivate. I think our neighbors just put fire and the fire came into our land. So and burnt all our things. But, uh, so we've developed, uh, little ways right now so that if fire comes from another place, it will not be able to get into our property. But, uh, we have 100 pigs. Last year we lost 28 and we stopped production uh, because we ran. Uh, I, teaching my guys to build sustainably. We started with pigs and they were so excited. They were just, and then we ran out of food because we didn't have enough corn and enough. Uh, so I told them we can't do that. So we planted about 30 acres of corn this year, uh, which we're harvesting right now. So we'll be able to uh, sustainably raise our pigs. We have 100 now. Uh, last one just gave birth to 16. We have a breed that will give birth to anywhere from 8 to over 20. Uh, they, I think they call it the Nema uh, pig. So we're really excited. We'll also be giving them to the community, uh, maybe one male and two females, so they could grow similar things and help uh, them. That's, those are two things we're doing. We're still involved in church planting and other areas of ministry. You could visit our website on uh, breadforlife.org and uh, to see a little bit about what we do. But that's what I do. I visit the state twice a year to share. We have 11 supporting churches that support us and about 30 people, and we're just so 
thankful that your church is one of our biggest supporting churches. Uh, we have a staff of over 50 and an, a general income of about four or $5,000 a month that comes in. But amazing how God every month will provide mostly through one-time gifts. That's how we've run this for the last uh, a few years. We have about 50 workers, 27 at the uh, school, 30 full-time workers at the farm, and about six administrative uh, staff. God has blessed the work, but we're building in such a way that in the next two, three years, most of our income will come from within Cameroon and will also be at a given end. Uh, we're teaching on church planting, but oftentimes, you know, we help plant a church and it's not able to replicate itself. So continue to pray for us. And if God leads you to come, I would love to have you. Uh, I tell people, somebody asked me once, said, what was your first experience with Christianity? I said, the missionary I ate. They said, so good. You know, I decided, no, just kidding. We're not cannibals, uh, you know. <laughs> Maybe we're not. Uh, so <laughs> the pickles came and we did not eat them. <laughs> so they came back. So if if you're thinking, it's amazing what uh, all our notions of different cultures, you know. There are no cannibals. If they were maybe a hundred years ago, but right now. Uh, so we want, uh, we love white meat, but we don't eat white folks. <laughs> so uh, I promise you. So want to encourage you to come on a short term, on a long term. Uh, you will love the experience, and I think you'll come back with a greater sense of uh, gratitude. I uh, woke up this morning, it never occurred to me whether there will be hot water or not. In our part of the world, when you wake up, you're not sure whether there will be water. <laughs> you know, I just woke up, went into the bathroom, just turned the hot water, it came on. And the luxuries, these are luxuries, even in Douala. Where we live, you are never sure of whether the electricity will be on or, uh, we've started buying solar panels. We have about 10 solar panels now and we've started, uh, electricity at the farm. So in the evening, our guys are able to have light and we just bought another 20 again, which we put in a container, which I just sent uh, out of when I come twice a year, we send a container out of Dallas and out of Atlanta. I just loaded the container out of Dallas recently filled it up. And what I do is because the cost of shipping and clearing is so expensive, about $30,000, the whole process. What I do is I started a small social business where I invite others in the community, Africans and missionaries. By the time they load maybe half of the container, we've generated about uh, 50% of it. And then we load the other 50%. And so and sometimes, like uh, last week, I think we generated about uh, uh, $15,000, and we loaded. Somebody gave us a car, a Highlander, which will be very useful for teams. Uh, we loaded over 100 chairs from uh, Grayford uh, Independent School District for as we're growing. We needed chairs, and more than half of the container was us. And so we're trusting the Lord as it gets home that uh, God will provide for us to clear but one of our whole our DNA is we start, we take a step of faith, and we trust God to do the rest. You know, that's been our DNA. And God has been very faithful the last uh, several years. For 26 years of doing this, it's amazing how God has provided. Uh, when my board chairman came to Cameroon last year, he cried because for years he has thought, man, Ernest, this is bad. Uh, I think he saw the work and said, Ernest, I am so thankful that you persisted because there were a number of times I just thought, why not give up? Why all of this? But we're seeing some results and we're so thankful. 
And thank you so much for being a huge part of what God is doing. Uh, from the time the church started supporting us, the church has been very consistent in so many ways. Uh, I think uh, Sharon does a garage sale every year, which has been very, very helpful. So those one-time gifts have made a huge uh, difference. So we're really, really grateful. Uh, only in heaven. We'll never be able to tell the impact. But one of these days, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see uh, the lives that a small church like this uh, was able to touch. And so thank you. I look forward to coming here. Uh, every year, last year, we couldn't make it because of the COVID, but uh, thank you so much for always opening your doors whenever I'm in the area. Thank you. Um want to take a few minutes to just encourage us uh, with God's words. Uh, if anybody has a question or comment about what we're doing, if there's something you want to know, let me just give you a few minutes and I'll be able to answer those questions. Uh, any questions, if any of you have a question? Any questions? Anybody has a question? Yes, ma'am. I know you were trying to raise up a younger leader that could take over some of the things in the States on your behalf. Mm. There were problems because they don't have American passports and those kinds of things that have allowed you to travel so much easier. Is there any progress in that area for you? Uh, not yet. Only Jokobab can do that right now. Uh, Jokobab has been able to get visas in the past, but because she doesn't know the state and cannot navigate, it's uh, a little challenging. I'm hoping that someday God will raise somebody here. One of the things we're trying to do is hopefully people like you regionally will have people who could do little, little things, you know, why that uh, after 26 years of being on the road, it's taken a toll on me. <laughs> I think I've developed what they call a sciatica or sciatic nerves, you know. So there are days it's just so, and I am one of those. I don't like taking painkillers, but I took two yesterday and it really worked for the first time. <laughs> Seriously. Yesterday I drove 10 hours after loading a container for three days. I was so tired and I had to drive 10 hours here and I could not even walk. And then I stopped at the Sam's Club and bought some painkillers. And I never knew those things worked. <laughs> I feel a little bit better. But we're trusting the Lord to raise people. God is doing that in Cameroon, but we've not really had somebody who can come and do the trips here. And they can be expensive. Rental cars, in the past when I come, I'll pick up a rental car. And those things have become very expensive since covid uh, Renting a car for a day now is about $100 or more. It used to, I could get cars in the past for $17 a day or so. Uh, so one of the things I did this year was contacted a church in Texas, and somebody who had two cars was able to let me use a Camry. So uh, that's what I plan to do now. So if I'm in the region, I'll probably contact if anybody has an extra car that I could use while there. So I'll probably fly in. But it's uh, it's expensive. By the time you travel... It costs a lot. Uh, so I'm hoping maybe regionally across the state, God will begin to raise people. But it's difficult if you've not been there. So it's after you visit and you see the work that you're able to articulate it. So one of the things that, that's one of the reasons I encourage people to come. Uh, because when you come, you see the work, then you can be able to articulate it uh, more. Uh, so Jokobeb is there. Uh, she's a mother of, a, she's never been married. 
but she has about six or seven kids living with her in a small two-bedroom house. Uh, she's raising them. And so it's a little challenging for her to also leave the country. But even if she left, it's difficult to her, for her to navigate the state. She's actually taken over our special needs department. Uh, we just sent her to Uganda. There was a ministry doing a training. Uh, and so she just came back. And there's another group in a Baptist church in Virginia Beach that uh, has a small school on, you know, that they work with autistic kids. So I'm hoping if we're able to raise enough funds, we'll send her here this year again to spend a month or two and learn just a little bit on speech therapy, occupational therapy, and come home and train others. We don't have any experts, no background. We just do these things and as much as we can. So the school right now, somebody has taken over the school. Uh, he's doing an excellent job. So that has released me. My desire is at my age, <laughs> I'm about 60 years old. And the question is how long? After 26 years on the road, it has taken a toll on me. And I really need to uh, step back and see others. And that's our heart that God will raise People from Cameroon, but people from here also. But most importantly, we're building within the country so that in the next few years, uh, how many of you know the gospel? Water is free, but the delivery costs. The gospel is free, but the delivery costs a little bit. And so we need uh, finances to be able to fund fund this. Uh, so that's our big thing. I think our focus right now, we're also approaching foundations. You know, I was in Arkansas recently to meet with uh, the Walton Foundation. I'll go home, come back again, try to meet with the Chick-fil-A Foundation and others to see if there's some interest. But one grant from a foundation will probably change our school or even the farm project. Uh, but continue to pray for others who could come alongside us and help with uh, some of these things. Any other question? How many of you would like to come next year? <laughs> wow, Okay. Who else? <laughs> okay, I'm picking you, the guy with the black shirt. You're coming. <laughs> no, just kidding. Okay, so you're coming, right? Your wife said yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, thank you again. I don't want to take much of our time. America doesn't need any more preaching. You, you have excellent preachers here and uh, the Bible is, so when I come, what I try to do is just an exhortation. And this morning I want to read, uh, just, uh, two, uh, just two verses and then I'll do a small exhortation on what I title, Four Things God Expects of Us. If you turn with me to Matthew, to the book of Matthew chapter 36, I will speak to us very briefly on this, on what four things God expects from us. Verse 36, it begins with an injunction. But when but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and neat and like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest, that he might send forth laborers onto the field. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. Let's pray. God, again, I recognize my inadequacies. 
my limitations, my inabilities, but I also recognize he was able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what I even think or ask. And so I come to you again. You said when we're weak, then are we strong? God, I pray that you speak to me and through me this morning. Challenge your people to the end, oh God, that not only will they be challenged, but that they'll be changed to be agents of change in a world that needs change so badly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Four things that God requires from us. Four things God expects from us. We all have expectations, regardless of who we are. We have expectations. Expectations of ourselves. Expectations of our church leaders. Expectations of our children. Expectations of our parents. We even have expectation of our government uh, leaders. And we have expectations But sometimes we fall short of those expectations. God also has expectations of us, and his expectations are constant. They are constant. They're always the same. Our passage takes us to uh, the time of Jesus' ministry. He was moving from place to place. Uh, Scripture tells us, uh, you see, it was a very moving passage where he healed. He was constantly, he was moving from uh Village to village, town to town, proclaiming about the kingdom or the sovereign rule of God. He was talking about God's kingdom from place to place. And scripture tells us he also did that with demonstration. When he saw the blind, he healed them. When he saw the woman who had suffered, struggled for 20, uh, 10, 12 years with an issue of blood, he healed her, he raised the dead. And then uh, this passage brings us to an injunction and Scripture says, but when he saw the multitude, when he saw them, every time you see an injunction, you need to look at that passage critically, the beginning as well as the end. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. What are the four things God requires? And based on this passage, I see four things that God requires from us. God requires that we see. He requires that we feel. He requires that we know. He also requires that we do four things. When he saw the multitude, what does God require? What did he see? He saw the multitude. He was moved by their suffering. He was moved with compassion. God expects us to be moved with compassion for the less fortunate around us, the old people who do not have help. God expects us to look at... uh the sufferings around us, and I could go on and on about what God expects from us. But God also expects us to feel and be moved, you know, feel something, be moved with compassion. Um, the disciples, you know, when they saw the multitude, the disciples said, send them away. God said, no, what do you have in your hands? And when we give him what he has, he takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he multiplies. A story is told of a guy called, uh, is it, uh, Carter. Uh, I think his name was, uh, the story of, uh, Kevin Carter. I don't know. You could Google, Google that up. Kevin Carter was an award-winning journalist or a photographer who won an award in, I think, in the, uh, during the, uh, the war in, uh, in Sudan or I think in, and some Somalia. He was so focused. There was a vulture, a child who was malnourished. Almost skeleton. Uh, he was so focused on taking a picture of that child who was about to be consumed 
by vulture for 20 minutes. He was trying to take a picture of that child. Uh, uh, that picture became an award-winning picture. But because of the criticism after that, Kevin Carter committed a suicide after he had just won that award. You see, sometimes we could be so focused on our work that we forget to see or to feel with others. God expects us not only to see something, but he expects us to feel something. And God also expects us to know something, to know about the harvest. He said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And that's one of the reasons we try to mobilize people on a regular basis. Every time I come here, one of our main things is to mobilize the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And it says, pray also that, you know, uh, God will raise people. But lastly, God expects us to do something. He expects us to pray, to do something, not just to know, not just to see, not just to feel, but also to do something. And what do we do? God expects us to pray, to take actions, to take actions, prayer. Nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. When we pray, things happen. But prayer also moves us to other actions. When we begin to pray, you begin to do other things also. When you encounter God in prayer, God moves you to do the things you naturally would not be willing to do. And he expects us to begin at home. When I first came to America, I loved reading bumper stickers. I just enjoyed every time I saw one that says, Honk. If you love Jesus, man, I would just go behind people and whoop, 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 whoop. And some of them would get excited. I did not know. I thought they were praising the Lord. Uh, they would just go. And one particular guy was just raising his hands. And I thought he was praising the Lord. I went by him, honk again. And before I know him, he sped and raised his hand. So I went to work and I told my boss what was happening. He said, Ernest, that is a bad sign. Don't, uh, it is something, he tried explaining it to me, but it did not make sense. And I, I could not really reconcile how raising your hand will mean something else bad. But I finally got the, it took me a while, but I finally got the, uh, the message. So I don't honk anymore when I see these bumper stickers. I, I generally, because you never know. Either they're Christians who just change when they get mad. So I've stopped doing that, but one of my favorite bumper stickers that I saw and I enjoyed was an environmental bumper sticker that I used to see. Uh, it would say, you know, think globally, act locally. Think globally, act locally. As I reflected on that bumper sticker, I'm probably thinking they took it out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he says, you will be my disciple, you, you know, He's sending them, he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. Think globally. It all begins locally. We start here in our families. Then we begin to expand to our state and to the rest of the world. Think globally, act locally. God expects us to know something. He expects us to know what is happening around the world. He expects us to feel to have compassion, to develop compassion. He expects us to do something also. What is God calling you to do today? 
What is he calling you to see? What are you seeing? Are you seeing through his lenses? Are you seeing the million? Statistics shows every day hundreds of people, thousands of people die. But the question is, how many of those are dying without Jesus? He expects us to know that. He expects us to feel, to develop a compassion for them. And he expects us to do something. Moses came to a point, he said, God, blot out my name as he prayed. He said, for their sake, for the sake of others so they could go in. Uh, I think it's uh, Paul who said in uh, Romans, he says, I wish I could be a curse for the salvation of others. He was basically praying the same prayer that Moses prayed. He says, God, I'm willing to be a curse so that my people will come to know Christ. We must come to that point. And it's as we pray, we begin to do something. Paul says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. As we begin to know, as we begin to see, as we begin to feel, we can't but do something. What do you feel? What do you know? What do you see around you? Do you see the things I see? That's what motivates us to do what we're doing. Why will a young man like me give his heart and life to doing what I'm doing? Because I've seen something. I've experienced something. I remember 26 years ago when I quit my job, uh, 27 years ago at Ford in Michigan, my cousin in Atlanta cried because she thought somebody had bewitched me. Somebody had played a voodoo. Why will anybody quit? We come into this country, most of us foreigners, this is almost like paradise. And when we come, we never go back home because there's no comparison, you know, America and the rest of the world. And quitting my job, giving up everything to do what I'm doing, she thought I'd been bewitched. But because I'd seen something, I was moved by something. I knew something. And I knew God was calling me. And I had to put actions to it. And we have seen Hundreds and thousands of people whose life have been changed because of that. And for quite a number of years, I struggled with God. And I said, hey, God, I'm enjoying it here. I'm realizing the great American dream. I have a nice home, a nice car. Let me support others. I'll give every month. I'll give. And I was doing that. But I had a limit to what I could do. But today, through our work, we have young people who have finished medical school who will not have been able to. Most of the ministries that we do today did not just happen because I wanted to do something. We just started as we felt. We used to do evangelistic crusades in universities. In our part of the world, there's absolutely nothing, no recreational center. So kids don't have any way to exert their energies. And so during uh, the weekends, we'll do evangelistic. All you needed to do was just build a small stage, start singing. Young people will come, and many of them will come to Christ. But some of these young people were involved in all kinds of things, either at the universities were involved. And as they came to Christ, we started a student scholarship. We had young girls who had no other way of going through the university. Tuition in our universities are about $100 a year, government universities. But living expenses would be another $100. But that, for most of them, was very expensive. And so they would sell their bodies. And when they came to Christ through a crusade, They'll come, pray with me. This is my situation. As we prayed, God began moving us to start taking them and uh, providing scholarship. Some of them are doctors today. 
some of them are pastors, some of them are teachers, and in different professions because we felt we knew and we did something. God expects us to know, to see, to feel. But how do we develop this? Is as we go closer to him, like a, a brother shared this morning, as we go to him, the spirit begins to indwell us and begin to propel us to do things. We're able to do what we do because of uh, people like you, and we're just so grateful. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Maybe God is calling you. I don't know what area he may be calling you to. He may just be calling you to know something. He may be calling you to feel something, to sense something, and to do. What is God calling you to do? It may be here. It may be in a faraway country. It may be on your, in your closet. But God expects all of us to know something, to see something, to feel something, and to do something. That's the kind of a God he is. He's a God who saw the world without form or void, and he spoke into it. And God wants to do that through us, through us going, through us praying. The world is changing. Uh, when I became a Christian more than 45 years ago, uh, I was so excited. I used to pray, God, take me. God, you know, I, I just wanted to go to heaven instantly. And aren't you glad that God doesn't answer all your prayers? <laughs> aren't you glad? If God answered our prayers, I would not be here today. And as I look back, I am so thankful uh, that God did not answer my prayers Uh I just wanted to leave this world. God has left us here for a reason, so we could make an impact. If not, immediately we became Christians, he would just take us, but he allowed us to be here because so we could be lights. And when light comes, what happens? Darkness dissipates. That's what happens. God has allowed us here. How much light are we to our community? How much light are we to the world? I was speaking with somebody, a Cameroonian guy called me the other day, and he said, man, I love what you're doing. I wish I could do it. I said, you can also. You can. He's in Tel Aviv. He's married to an American diplomat. I said, all of us doing our little part can make a huge difference. Several years ago, Mark, uh, Senator Mark Hartfield was visiting India and uh, visited Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and she said, Mother Teresa, don't you think you are a failure? And he rephrased his statement. He says, I see a sea of poverty around. What can one person do to make a difference? And Mother Teresa says, I don't see myself as a failure. God hasn't called me to a life of success. He has called me to a life of faithfulness, being faithful. That's what God has called us. What has God called you to do? God calls us to be faithful in whatever field he has placed. If he has placed you here as a pastor or a leader or just whatever, you do it faithfully. That's what we're trying to do. And every one of us doing our little part, that's what will change our world. Let's pray. Our Father, your word has gone forth again, and we're confident that it will not return void. It will accomplish that which it's meant for. Let it work in our hearts today. Let it mold us, let it shape us, let it build us, let it challenge us, and let it stir us to greater things, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.